Welcome to the In and Around Pleasant Hill podcast with Alex Kodadad, a successful real estate business owner and a lifelong resident of the East Bay, who received a Hometown Hero Award for his Facebook group, In and Around Pleasant Hill Food and Drinks, saving local restaurants during the pandemic. His new podcast will provide inspiring success stories and educational takeaways from local business owners and community leaders, helping listeners get from where they are to where they want to be. Hope everybody's doing well. Welcome to episode number 15 of In and Around Pleasant Hill Podcast with Alex Kodadat. And like always, do me a big favor, please make sure you share this podcast with someone you know that might be interested. Uh, Give us a five-star review and just get the word out and make sure you subscribe to our podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. I have our guest here, uh, Maylana with Property ID. Maylana, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Um, and our uh, the title of this uh, podcast is "What Is Natural Hazard Disclosure?" So, with that said, you want to go ahead and tell us a little about you. Uh, which start out with, please, Maylana. Thank you, Alex. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I am an attorney for Property ID for 23 years. And I am the past president of the real estate section of the Bar Association here in the East Bay. Okay. I am part of Kids and Cancer Camp Agapi, which is a camp for terminally ill children and their families. And uh, before that, I did divorces on Beverly Drive in Los Angeles, Uh, actually with Beverly Hills. And um, it was really awful work. Great money, but I'd rather scrub toilets for a living than do divorces because they're complicated and dirty and messy and everything else. <laughs> Life is already dirty and messy. We don't want to have to deal with other people's problems. But and a lot, a um, lot, a lot of negative energy. That's what I would think. Like there's just so much negativity. It just it's, it's draining. It's really sad. I, I actually learned while I was doing divorces that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference um, because I would see a lot of hate and nastiness. And so, yeah, so I decided I needed to get out of that um, industry. And that's why I made a move to something that is far more pleasant. And that's natural hazards, earthquakes, faults, floods, fires, things of that nature. (laughs) It's not so messy. You know, just for you, the fact that you just said that right now, the opposite of love is not hate. It's difference. That would be a perfect title. I like that. Okay. Well, when you when you you're when you're when you are indifferent. Yeah. You don't care. You don't care. But what I saw when I was doing divorces is is that people would do damage to each other because hate is just a is is on a different level of love. Yeah. So um, if you if you don't care and you just want the divorce over with. You're saying, let's fine, let's meet, let's hammer it out, let's get it done, you know, like a contract. But yeah. when people are so emotional and so heated, um, they feel hate for each other. They're not they're not. I mean, I used to I used to help people um, fight for silverware that they could buy truckloads of for the amount of money they were spending on lawyers, but that isn't what they wanted. They wanted to hurt each other. They didn't, you know, if they were indifferent, then they'd be like, you keep the silverware. I don't care. Right. 
I know. And that's the same thing that I'm seeing right now with their inheritance, with all this wealth transfer. I'm seeing kids, you know, they're not in the same agreement. They're trying to sell a house and one of them just photo. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you had asked me earlier, uh, why is it that I became a lawyer? Well, I was, um, I, I got my degree in international business a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I started actually working in an international forwarding, freight forwarding company right after college. And in the evenings, I would go home and watch Law and Order. And I was like, I don't, I do not like what I'm doing and I need to do something like that. And instead of watching Law and Order, I'm going to go to law school and just practice law. And right out of law school, I started doing the family law, which was awful. And then, and I, I've been doing natural hazard disclosure law for 23 years. And it's so lovely. Melana, what, what made you go this you know, direction? of natural hazard disclosure. I mean, what inspired you or what happened that you shifted from family to something like a 360 degrees? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a kind of a funny story, actually. Um, my, my girlfriend from law school was general counsel here at Property ID. And she had called me up because she needed me to, to look up some cases and, uh, and she said, so, you know, are you happy over there? I said, no. And she said, we need a lawyer over here. I said, I'll be right over. And the rest is history. So here I am. Yeah. Right. So right. it's, it's who you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. So um, now regarding uh, natural hazard disclosure, I mean, I know when folks are either buying a house or selling a house, this is a disclosure but that needs to be provided. Um, um, but a lot of folks, they don't understand it or they'll, you know, they'll just look at it, but they don't really get, especially now. Can you dive into it and let us know what is natural hazard disclosure and why is it so important that we need to educate and know what, you know, what we're getting ourselves into? Well, that's a great question. So when in California, when you are selling a house, you are legally required to share with the buyer all the things that you're, you're not happy with, right? So a seller can do this on the TDS. For example, the garage door opener doesn't work on Thursday afternoons. Only the seller would know this. So the seller is legally required to put this on the paper and that's gonna be on the TDS, right? The real estate transfer disclosure statement. This, this is the place in which the seller is gonna disclose things the seller has actual knowledge about. Natural hazard disclosures are things that most sellers don't know about. So what is a natural hazard? Well, we live in California. We have earthquakes. The byproduct of an earthquake is uh, liquefaction and landslide. Liquefaction is um, the sudden loss of strength of soil because of severe ground shaking because of an earthquake. The ground liquefies. This is what happened uh, during the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989 here in the Bay Area. So the uh, earthquake was centered in the Santa Cruz Mountains. 
70 miles away in the Marina District of San Francisco, they suffered liquefaction so that the ground just gave it. The strength gave up. Landslide is a byproduct of an earthquake. Tsunami is also a byproduct of an earthquake, but it's not actually listed on the Natural Hazard Disclosure Statement, although it is in the report. A flood, special flood hazard area as designated by FEMA. Dam failure inundation. That means if a dam were to break in, in this area, uh, we would be concerned with the Lafayette Reservoir. So if the Lafayette Reservoir were filled to its maximum capacity, and we had El Nino type rain conditions, meaning it's just raining cats and dogs and all the flood channels and all the flood uh, basins that we have created to direct water away from our neighborhoods were already overburdened with water. The Office of Emergency Services would ask if the water in the Lafayette Reservoir were filled to its maximum capacity on, on that day, it broke. Would the water from that Lafayette Reservoir flood your property? That is dam inundation, which a lot of people don't really care about. But I'll tell you what I have found is people who are coming from China and Japan. This is a very sensitive spot for them because in those countries, they have personal knowledge of dam failure and it's very devastating in california dams don't break the oroville threatened uh last year but it didn't actually it didn't actually go um and then there are the fire hazard zones very high fire and wildland fire we can go into each one of these uh in much more detail but i don't know that you would like to do that <laughs> We now, can if you want. Yeah, now I have a question um, regarding fire. You know, I've I've lived in California since I was ten years old. I've been here forty years now. Um, I have never seen like what I've seen in the last three four years with all this fire. What's going on, Melana? Why are we seeing so much fire? Well, that is. That is a very good question. And actually, right now, the California legislature is taking steps to correct this problem. I'll tell you, it's it's actually it's very sad because of it's devastating in California. There has been a, a, a movement to not um, actively clear forests. OK, so the state of California has always the Department of Forestry would go in and kind of clean the forest out. Um, and they, there was a there was there was a, there was not that that was not happening for some time, for about 10 years. It was not happening. And unfortunately, what happened was there's a lot of dry, dead vegetation and a lot of bark beetle infestation. So insects have infested the trees and killed them. And so and there wasn't deforesting going on. There wasn't a lot of cleaning going on. So this exacerbated the problem. And so when a spark happens, there's so much more fuel for the fire 
to to just become a monster uh, because of infestation by uh, insects killing the trees and failure to remove these dead trees. But I know that the state of California is correcting this now. Thank goodness, because it's these last 10 years have just been devastating. Melana, but why? Why 10 years ago? Why did they stop? Was there a budget issue? Was that a political issue? What happened that they stopped this? I think it, I think it was a combination of uh, different factors. Definitely, okay. um, it's it is it is expensive to go and clean the forests, and there there are definitely um, environmental groups who are trying to preserve threatened and endangered species, and uh, deforesting definitely poses a threat to this this type of situation. I mean, I know like, for example, uh, Napa, Sonoma, wine country area, huge, huge uh, effort to preserve the California spotted owl. So if you are in this area for the California spotted owl, you can't touch the trees. So here we are with a problem. What do we do about the owl? I got to get rid of this tree, you know, so it's you have to bring in uh, the county. You have to bring in the environmentalists. You have to bring in a lot of different uh, energy factors to come in to decide whether this tree is going to come out. And then either that or it's going to all burn down and there won't be no more owls left. If we're going to have everything get burned down, Greg. <laughs> well, we sure hope that doesn't happen. You know, I mean, I mean we've lost so much homes and and, you know, I, I, I love nature also, too. But my God, I mean, this is crazy. It's wiped out so many people, their lives. They're gone. Yes. Um, yes and, and, true. and thank God that they're finally, you know, doing something about this and 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 and, and taking care of this. You were talking a little bit earlier. So with um, liquefaction, just. For, for our listeners that don't understand what that means, can you just really quickly explain what that means, please? Sure. Okay. So liquefaction, okay, we all know the 680 corridor, right? Yeah. All right. So the 680 corridor is um, is kind of a, is, is like this, right? So, I mean, I'm just going to show you it's, you know. Yep. So kind of look at it like that. Yep. So the 680 is at a lower elevation relative to its surrounding area. So it's kind of a valley, right? Diablo Valley, right? Flat area, and it's surrounded by hills. I'm sorry, I'm using myself as a (laughs) a visual. Okay. In the Bay Area, so that's one thing. You have to be at a lower elevation relative to your surrounding areas. You have to have a high water table, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to have earthquakes. So in the Bay Area, we have all of that. So in the flat valley areas, for thousands of years before we showed up, granules and pebbles have come down and they have filled this valley, okay? Yeah. We are surrounded by water. We have the Delta, we've got creeks, we've got, I mean, Walnut Creek, all these different creeks. We've got the ocean not too far. 
And then the third element that you need most important. So you, number one, you need granular soil being in a flat area. Number two, you need a high water table surrounded by water. Number three, you need an earthquake anywhere in the world where you have those three things, you have susceptibility to liquefaction. So we hear on the news, there was an earthquake in the Middle East. There was an earthquake in Greece. And I'm Greek, right? So I pay attention. And my husband is Persian. So I, you know, I pay attention to <laughs> the Middle East and Greece. Um, so when we hear this, we hear, you know, so many people are killed. In California, we don't have that kind of devastation where we lose life because our homes are built to withstand the extra shaking that occurs during an earthquake where liquefaction occurs. So seismic waves, they travel yep. and they hit and then they go back. And that's where the ground shakes so much and it loses strength. Yep. So you will notice there's, I, I remember when I used to live in Los Angeles, um, during the Northridge earthquake, I don't know, earthquakes follow me. I must be like a natural hazard. Well, I was living, I was living in LA during the Northridge earthquake. And I took a walk the very next day down the hill and I walked on the street and I noticed that everybody's chimneys had collapsed. The entire street, everyone lost their chimneys because it was at the bottom of the hill and it shook a lot more than up where I was at the top of the hill. And they all lost that unreinforced masonry because they're all brick. Right. So that's essentially liquefaction. It's just severe ground shaking during an earthquake. And so we need to build our homes to withstand earthquakes. And that's why it's so important to get permits. Yep. Yep. So I know um, it's amazing because a, a, a week ago, two weeks ago, we had that uh, major rain that came in and thank God I'm so blessed, you know, I'm thankful that we got that rain. And I remember the creeks that were dry. I mean, the water was to the top. And that's not something you see a lot. I mean, it rained, it rained a lot. Um, my question is this, um, flood. Like there are certain areas, like you'll go to one street and, you know, we're, we're here in Pleasant Hill. You'll go to one street and it's not in a flood zone. And then you go to the next street and it's in a flood zone. How is that possible? Like one street over is a flood zone and this street, I mean, does the water stop and say, I'm not going to go to the next street? How do they come out with this? That's so funny. Well, you know, when we drive around uh, town, we're not really paying attention to the gentle slope on the street. I know my friends, my very good friends live on Boyd in Pleasant Hill. And when it rains a lot, there's one part of Boyd that's underwater. The street is flooded and we don't really notice that there is a gentle slope because our houses are there. Oh my goodness. I get calls all the time from people that say, there is no way this house is in a landslide zone. Come on. But they don't realize that when there is a, a slope, we don't see it because it's paved and there's a sidewalk 
and there's homes that are built on it. But if you were to actually take a level, you'd see, oh, wow, there is a slope here. So that's the reason why in a in a flood zone, you you don't you don't you have no idea. People say, oh, all the time, there's no way this property is in a flood zone. But in fact, because of the base flood elevation and FEMA goes out and maps these areas and they constantly go through and remap there, there is susceptibility based on where you are, the slope and the base flood elevation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazes me. I remember I was selling a house in Concord and like, it's a flood zone. And then I'm like, when was the last time they had a flood? And I remember you, you had said something about they come out as they come out with the stats. Did this place flood in the last hundred years? Correct. Correct. FEMA's definition of a flood zone is not flooding that happens every 100 years. It is if you are in a special flood hazard area, FEMA has designated that based on 100 years of statistics, that's a hard word, 100 years of statistical data, is there a 1% or greater chance that the flooding that was experienced here last year, could it be experienced next year? And if they say yes, I mean, ultimately, what does that mean? Right. It's a a very difficult definition. But one important note um, that is is important to remember is that in many cases, these natural hazards overlap. So we saw what the devastation with fires that took out a lot of neighborhoods. But then we have this torrential rain. And then what happens is the, the, the trees that used to hold this hillside in place are not there anymore. Yep. And then the rain causes landslide and mudslide to happen. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and, and uh, for folks that are that, you know, because I mean, you, they need to understand, especially when you're trying to buy a house that you need to understand that if it's in a flood zone or if it's in a high fire, that your insurance is going to be much higher. Um, and with flood zone, uh, I mean, especially if a seller saying just, you know, oh, you know, I've lived here for 50 years. We've never had a flood. Trying to dispute that with FEMA is going to be very difficult. It's kind of like fighting an uphill battle, right? To trying to say, take my home off of FEMA. And, it, you know, is that correct? Well, it's possible, you know, if you if you hire um, a civil engineer to come and establish that your home is above the base flood okay. or your house, for example, you have several steps going up to the front door has been elevated above the base flood. That is where you can petition FEMA and you apply for um, a letter of map amendment or letter of map revision. You will need an elevation certificate to do that. An elevation certificate can cost you a couple thousand dollars because an engineer has to come out and do measurements and things like that. And then you, and then you petition FEMA and say, you know, basically you're asking, please remove my house from the flood zone. So the land may still remain in the flood zone, but the the structure may be removed. 
And this is why the natural hazard disclosure is so important because it will affect a buyer's ability to obtain and or maintain insurance with regard to these hazards. And it can impact your ability to build. Right. Yeah. Now, Melana, not everybody's out there trying to sell their house or buy a house, but for those sellers out there right now, you know, what is some tips, like, especially with what's going on with the fire and some areas being in a high fire zone, what some tips can you give them to be proactive to make sure that God forbid their house doesn't burn down? Well, that's, you know, that's good that you should mention that because the, the state of California passed in October of 2019, Assembly Bill 38. And Assembly Bill 38 requires when a property is in high fire or very high fire hazard severity zone, a seller is legally required to provide additional disclosures with regard to this particular property's susceptibility to fire and whether that home has been hardened against fire. So the way it's the, the fire zone is established is the California Department of Forestry looks at if an ember, okay, so let's say there's a fire going on over here and an ember were to get blown by the wind and fly and land somewhere else. If this ember were to land on your property, you want to make it very difficult. You want to harden your home so that if the ember lands on your property, it's not gonna burst into flames. That is why you wanna rake the leaves trim the trees, pull the weeds, cut the grass, get rid of anything that's flammable on your property to harden your home against fire. Sellers have to do this now in the state of California. Now they have to provide a disclosure form. Right. Now you had said uh, if it's in a high fire zone, for those folks that are not selling their house and then, you know, do they have to pull the natural hazard disclosures or is there a site that they can go in to see if they're in a, you know, high fire zone or not? Well, I have to share with you a letter I got from the police in this East Bay city in which I live. Okay. So, I got a, a letter from the the police informing me that my property is in violation of the local ordinance because I have an offensive tree and they even gave me a picture <laughs> and they said this tree has to be trimmed because it is in violation of this local municipal code that says I am legally required to clear the crap from my property to keep fire away from my home. Yeah. So I know the tree isn't dead. And so I called an arborist to come to my property. And I said, can you tell me about what's going on with this tree? And he said, the tree is not dead. The tree is sleeping. It's not in season. So 
you don't need to remove the tree like this officer informed me that I needed to remove the tree. Uh, he said, we can just trim it up and it'll look great. I said, great. When can you come? He said, Wednesday. Fantastic. So I called the officer back. And by the way, I got this certified. OK, certified. They're not messing around. OK, certified letter. I called the officer back and I said, this offensive tree that you have informed me is not dead. It's sleeping. I've hired an arborist who will trim the tree for me. He said, when is that tree going to be trimmed? I said, Wednesday. He said, great. I'll come by after Wednesday. Sure enough, Thursday, he showed up, got out of his car, looked at my tree, got back in his car and left. He did not, however, issue me any kind of notification that says, thank you. You've cleared this problem. You've trimmed the tree. No. But I would have to call him and say, can you please send me a document that proves that now I am in compliance with this local law? <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I know. That's that's it. Yeah. So um, now uh, for folks out there that are thinking about selling their home or for buyers out there looking at home, I know they're getting representation either by a listing agent or a selling agent. When it comes to natural hazard disclosure, what area should that seller or the buyer be paying attention to and point looking out for? Well, the, I mean, I'm the attorney for property ID. Okay. And I will tell you that every disclosure is what they should be looking out for. Yep. Because, so as an example, I don't like landslide zones. Okay. I, I find them scary. Yep. I don't care about the faults. I don't care about anything else. My husband does not want to pay one more dollar in Mellow Roos. Yep. So as a realtor, it's, it's important to not want to presume the sensitivities of your clients. But right. as a buyer, you need to read every page yep. because... Right now, as we as I briefly shared with you earlier, uh, SB nine and ten yep. is what is now signed into law by uh, the governor. And what SB nine and ten will do is it will allow you to build additional dwelling units, ADUs. It'll allow you to build them with with more ease than than before. So you, you, you can kind of cut through the red tape and get your permits quicker and um, without having so much expense. Yep. The problem is, the problem is in the natural hazard disclosure report, there are items in here that will uh, prevent you from building your additional dwelling units. Uh, if you have a fault, uh, on or near your property, if it's in the earthquake fault zone, if it is in a fire hazard severity zone, it, if it is in the special flood hazard zone, if it's got protected species and habitats, which property ID discloses, I just tell you, I, I mean, very quickly, um, I was trying to do a remodel and I have habitat for the California tiger salamander on my property. 
And the city told me there is no way we're going to let you do this remodel because of the habitat of this threatened species. Tiger? California tiger salamander, not tiger. <laughs> oh, I was like, what tiger? Okay. No, no, no. Oh, if you've never seen a California tiger salamander, hop over to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum. Wow, They've okay. got them on display there. They're beautiful. I mean, I would love to make a belt out of it, but they don't, you know, they don't let you wear belts in prison because if you did something like that, you'd be in jail. Yes. <laughs> So these these threatened and endangered species, you can't touch them. And I've seen them on my property. They're beautiful, beautiful. They're they're, they're like these lovely little I mean, they're they're creepy, but they're beautiful. But you can't touch them so that you would be completely prevented from doing something like that on your property. Right. That is why every single page is important, because you may not be able to put that swimming pool in the backyard. That's right. And like you said, with natural hazard disclosures, you're looking for fire, you're looking for flood, you're looking for earthquake, but it's more than that. There's the, you know, isn't it, does it going to have mellow roofs and all these other things that you were talking about? So it's something that you don't just want to rely on your agent. You want to be looking at it and being proactive and looking at it yourself too. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but, you know, I think the reason they uh, st- uh, signed into law, Gavin Newsom, um, that SB 9 and 10 is because of the housing crisis that we've had in California. But isn't that correct with SB 9 and 10, that not only are you able to, it's easier to build an ADU or in-law, but you could actually have two parcels on one property. Is that correct? Well, yes. Um, so, for example, I could subdivide my property um, and put another, I could take my property, subdivide it, put another house behind my house, and then two more houses on this side. Realistically, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's we don't know what it's going to do. I but know. I'll tell you this, if you are in a very strict residential area, but you are close to BART, uh, your next door neighbor can sell their house and a developer potentially could put up a, you know, 30 unit complex and underground parking. And everybody is looking right into your bedroom window and wow. and they can block your son. And I mean, but doesn't the city have some I mean, does the city have anything to say or does the state override what the city if they decide that, you know, you're, you can't put that there? builder right uh well that's the whole reason why they passed this was so that uh it's it's basically taking away the power from the cities to say this is this is a very rural town and we're trying to keep this town rural i mean i don't know if you've noticed like when you go to for example, you go we we here in the East Bay, we go to Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Okay. Well, you better go to Trader Joe's before you get there cuz you're not going to see a Trader Joe's in Lake Tahoe. You're not going to see In-N-Out in Lake Tahoe. You're not going to see Costco in Lake Tahoe because they're trying to keep it more uh rural, um mountain 
Um, because that's why we are leaving the East Bay in order to go to to commune with nature yep. and get away from the big boxes and and all that. So it's they're trying to give the local shops a chance. Yeah. Um, and so if if there were a Costco were to move in right there, then you wouldn't go to the local shop and and buy cheese from them. That's right. That's <laughs> you know? right. That's right. So, That's so right. I mean, there's there's give and take. Is it yeah. bad? I'm not saying it's bad. Right. Uh, I'm not saying it's better. I'm just yeah. saying that that's the way it's done. Yeah. So what the state is doing now really is trying to kind of uh, take away the 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 local power structure, which, you know, I don't know if you agree with it or not. And it's really not my place to tell you that. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You have a good point. Um, yeah. So, Melina, is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? Anything else you'd like to cover regarding the natural hazard disclosure? Now, you're with Property ID, correct? Correct. So, Property so ID provides natural hazard disclosure yeah. reports because, as we talked about, a seller doesn't have the capacity to disclose That's the right. items that are included here. That's right. And for, and for you know, um, I know there's a lot of natural hazard disclosure companies out there, but what makes property ID different than everybody else? Me. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, you know, okay. Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, this is, uh, this is, a. am holding a property ID report yep. for a property on Gilbert Lane in Martinez. Yep. So this property is within 500, the beautiful $1.3 million property. Yep. It's within 500 feet of the lightning gas and oil company, oil and gas well. Yep. So most buyers wouldn't think twice about this. They'd be like, yep. who cares? But the reality is it's important to know because there was um, this, this beautiful neighborhood called Porter Ranch and the Aliso Canyon gas well started to leak and it was declared the worst environmental disaster in United States history. Wow. 12,000 people had to be evacuated from their homes because of this gas leak. Wow. So Property ID is the only company that discloses oil and gas wells, threatened yeah. and endangered species. Yeah. Their other, other natural hazard disclosure reports will not include the fact that, so this is, you know, this is uh, my house. I have the California tiger salamander and the Alameda whip snake, which are threatened, which completely prevented me from my remodel. Yeah. Other natural hazard disclosure reports don't include this information. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference. In many cases, um, trying to get a cheaper report will miss a lot of very important information. The property ID report is $99. That's right. When yeah. you're buying a $1.3 million house, who cares for $99 when you're getting better disclosure? That's right. And I know that the sellers can tell when they're, you know, when they hire an agent, they can tell that agent, hey, I want to make sure that my natural hazard disclosure is with property ID. Or if the buyer is being represented by a selling agent, they could ask that, hey, I want to 
get a more accurate disclosure I, I want to order. If they do want to order, um, do you have a website? Where can they go to know, know more about Property ID? www.propertyid.com. Awesome. Property, I like ice cream, D like David.com. And if folks want to get a hold of you, do you have an email or something? If they have any questions or they want to get a hold of you? Oh, yeah, sure. They can email me at Maylana at propertyid.com. And that's mail as in you have mail in your mailbox. Anna with one N at propertyid.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Hope to see, uh, not see, but to, you know, have you guys listen in and tune into our podcast. a next podcast and do me a favor, share this podcast with someone, you know, that might, you know, be wanting to listen and be interested in listening to, and also to subscribe to our podcast. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye, Mylana. Bye. Thank you, Alex. Bye.